uh, Ruth chapter 4 verse 13 says, So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. Then he went to her, and the Lord enabled her to conceive, and she gave birth to a son. The women said to Naomi, Praise be to the Lord, who this day has not left you without a kinsman redeemer. May he become famous throughout Israel. He will renew your life and sustain you in your old age. For your daughter-in-law, who loves you and who is better to you than seven sons, has given him birth. Then Naomi took the child, laid him in her lap and cared for him. The women living there said, Naomi has a son. And they named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. This then is the family line of Perez. Perez was the father of Hezron. Hezron, the father of Ram. Ram, the father of Aminadab. Aminadab, the father of Nashon. Nashon, the father of Salmon. Salmon, the father of Boaz. Boaz, the father of Obed. Obed, the father of Jesse. And Jesse, the father of David. We've got um, this young woman, Ruth. Ruth is is a Moabitess who's the daughter-in-law of Naomi, who is a Jew, one of God's people. How was it that... Uh, Naomi ends up with this young woman, this Moabite woman, as her daughter-in-law. Well, actually, her husband, Elimelech, in the face of famine, goes off to a place called Moab, uh, a place which is fathered ultimately by the, uh, the um, uh, illicit sexual activity of Lot and his daughter, that incestual relationship. Uh, And if you like, that stamp of that behavior continued in the Moabites. Uh, They were renowned for that kind of illicit, uh, uh, immoral behavior, which was uh, opposed to the plan that God had for the perfect world and the perfect relationships. But Elimelech thinks, in the face of famine, it would be better for me to save my family with food there, and so leaves the land that God had given to his people. He leaves Bethlehem. It's amazing the way the stories uh, work, the way the names work. Uh, Bethlehem, the place of bread. That's what it means. Uh, Elimelech and his family leave the place of bread to go to be in Moab. Um, Elimelech and Naomi have two sons as they leave. Uh, Marlon and Kilian. Dying and death. That's the names, that's what they mean. I don't know whether uh, Elimelech woke up on the morning of uh, the birth of his first son and thought, why don't I name my son Dying? What a cool name. Uh, And so gives him this name Dying, which seems ridiculous in human terms and yet is woven into the story of God. That's the key that we see here. That God's hand, God's purposes, he names his sons Marlon and Killian. And that is exactly what happens. They die in Moab. Amazing. Uh, And now we find that Ruth sticks with with Naomi, stays with her, comes back to Bethlehem, 
Uh, and we find that now they are facing uh, destitution. We haven't, got, we haven't got the security network that that ancient age needed for somebody to live. We know that the provisions that are made, the way that you lived was by the, the family network. By the, by, by the fact that you had men who were, who were working in the family, that, that was the structure at that time. Uh, and so we see that Ruth and Naomi come back without any men, without children, in all of these ten years that Naomi and Ruth, uh, or rather Ruth has been married to um, Marlon, uh, to Killian rather, uh, in all of that time we find that she hasn't had children. There are no men to be, if you like, the security the provision that at that time was the provision that was just kind of weaved into society. So they come back without any hope. Uh, they're facing um, the prospect of, um, of poverty, uh, of famine. Uh, what are they going to do? We find as the story unfolds that it is, if you like, there are two uh, streams that kind of work alongside, knitted in together, we find that Boaz becomes both their hope and one who loves Ruth. So it's a love story on one level. It's, it's a wonderful story of, of Ruth and Boaz and how that interaction goes on and how, how Boaz, uh, this great hero, becomes the one who brings hope and yet at the same time he brings redemption, he brings security. Love and security, redemption and life knitted in together in this love story. Redeemed by love is the title that we've given this series. It is the story of Ruth. It is the story of Boaz, but it is also the story of redemption. And so we find that, that, that this great hero Boaz, this one who, who behaves, who, who gives a model, if you like, for, for the way men should be. Ruth gives a model for the way women should be. It comes together and, uh, and now we have in this final little section, so Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife. Then he went to her and the Lord enabled her to conceive. That's what's going on all the time behind this story. God is enabling. God is disabling. God is enabling. God is, God is shaping this pathway forward. And so Ruth, who hasn't had children in, in Moab, comes to Bethlehem, marries Boaz, and she conceives. She has a son who they name Obed. It's as though um, it, this love story finds its fulfillment. Everything works out perfectly, and Ruth and Boaz, figuratively speaking, disappear off into the sunset. Everything is cozy. The, the only problem is, life isn't like that, is it, very often? You know, if we, if we looked at this story and we say, well, what does God provide? Here's this idea that God is the provider. That's what's, that's what's behind this story. Uh, Ruth and Naomi come helpless and hopeless. They, they come with nothing. Uh, and although Boaz is the one who provides the security, the message of the story is that God behind that has been weaving these pathways to, to come together uh, so that provision and hope is found in, in Boaz. 
for Ruth and Naomi. So much so that the women of the town uh, are joyful with her. Uh, They say, um, uh, where do we read it? Praise be to the Lord who this day has not left you without a kinsman redeemer. May he become famous through Israel. He will renew your life and sustain you in your old age. For your daughter-in-law, who loves you and who is better to you than seven sons, has given birth. Uh, The women living there said, Naomi has a son. You know, there's this joyful response. Is that the kind of fulfillment of God's provision? Is that where we look look at it and we say, how does God work? How does God work today? Is it a case of, if I, if I have uh, difficulties, if I face adversities, is it, uh, is it that we come to a God who we can be sure will provide? You know, I, I, I haven't got security, I haven't got hope. How do we bring this story and say to people who right now are living in poverty-stricken parts of the world, who are facing famine, Oh, well, remember the story of Ruth. Remember the story of Ruth. God will provide. Uh, maybe we're talking about relationships which are, have not worked out. You know, the, we can't find the Boaz, or we can't find the Ruth. You know, they've just not turned up. Or, or maybe we thought they'd turned, off, turned up, uh, and it didn't work out that way. There's, there's broken relationships. Uh, How do we work out and say, this story is about God's provision. It's about God bringing hope into our world. Well, we see it. We understand how that works out. Because yes, in one sense, it is a wonderful picture of how best to live our lives, in our relationships, in our attitudes, in our behavior, Uh, towards each other. But it is way deeper than that. What do we see? Why do we have at the end of this story uh, a little bit of a family tree? That's what we've got, haven't we? At the end of it, we have uh, the family line of Perez. It's as though we've worked through this story, and then all of a sudden, if we can just go over to uh, verse 18, we see that all of a sudden, we've got this family tree dropped in at the end of the story. How does that become relevant? You know, we haven't heard about Perez. Where does Perez come from? If we were Jews at the time of reading this for the first time, this would have had a breathtaking power to us. Who was Perez? Perez was the son of Judah. Who was Judah? Judah was one of the twelve sons of Jacob. Who was Jacob? The son of Isaac. Who was Isaac the son of Abraham? Who was Abraham ultimately the son of Noah? Who was Noah ultimately the son of Seth? Who was Seth? ultimately the son of Adam. Do you see the pathway? Do you see what's going on here? This isn't just introduced at the end as a kind of little cameo of family life. Way back, way back at the very beginning, 
where the whole problem of the world came into being, where, where destruction and death and famine find its source, where we see that there is a problem in this world, where broken relationships are first established when man rebels against God, we find that God, in the face of that rebellion, makes a promise. He makes a promise. It's not going to be like this forever. I'm going to bring hope. He says to Eve, you're going to give birth to a a son. And of your seed, of your family tree, if you like, there will be hope. I, I will bring one who is going to defeat this enemy that you now face. And we see that that pathway goes from Adam to Seth to Noah to Abraham to Isaac to Jacob to Perez. And now we find that that goes from Perez to Boaz and Boaz to David and David to Jesus. What is this story really all about then? Yes, it's about relationship. Yes, it's about being redeemed by love. But there is this pathway which is taking us, driving us through this wonderful, overarching, incredible promise and story of God for the history of this world which says, I will not leave you without a Redeemer. I will not leave you without a saviour. And I will knit the pathways. I will shape the directions. I will work family life. I will bring children at just the right time. I will find a way. I will deliver what I have promised. Against all of the adversity. Against a backdrop of famine. Against the backdrop of, of floods across the world, against the backdrop of the opposition of armies, God will deliver. So that we read it, and we, we, we as, if you like, if, if we were a thousand years before Jesus reading this, we would read it and we would say, wow, that's how we were sure that not quite a thousand years. That's how we were sure that King David was going to be born. Isn't God great? That he would make sure that King David would be born to be our leader, to be our king, to be this great hope. And then we would say, here we are, 21st century, we would say, but King David didn't deliver, did he? There's got to be more. There's got to be more. Yes, there is more. You know, we draw the line. This gives us clearly an indication of when this book was written. It was written after the event. It was written sometime later on where we know about King David. The Ruth, the account of Ruth is now written. David is the outcome. But, but there's more. There's even more. It's not just this, this seam of hope. There's even more. Where does that hope come from? Where is that redeeming hope coming from? Think about this. This redeeming hope brought into the line of the great King David and ultimately 
the greater king, Jesus, brought into that line is a Moabite outsider. A woman with no standing within God's community. A woman outside of God's community. A woman outside of the pathway. A woman from a a background which doesn't fit. A woman who, if we were designing salvation, if we were designing the pathway, we wouldn't include a Ruth. Because she doesn't fit the pattern. She doesn't fit. And I, I look at that and I think that is just great, great news. That is wonderful news. That God, he doesn't bring Jesus from this perfect family. He doesn't create a a history for Jesus where everything is upright and everything is perfect and everything fits and everything is neat. Oh no. He brings Jesus right down in the middle of brokenness. He brings into the redeeming hope of the world people from outside, people who don't fit, people who are from broken. He he redeems the broken and brings them into his redemption plan. Isn't that wonderful news? You know, very often, I, I, I speak to many people And one of the great problems with coming to terms with the Christian faith is that there are many who feel, I don't feel as if I fit. I don't feel as if it's right for me. I don't feel as if I've got all of the the background and all of the history that makes it Right, for me, I wasn't brought up in that kind of family. I've got this going on in the background. The wonderful news is that this message, this story shows that God doesn't bring hope in the middle of perfection. He brings hope in the middle of brokenness. He brings hope for those who are outsiders. He brings hope for those who feel as if they don't fit. But he brings hope for those who say, like Ruth, don't cut me off from this. Don't cut me off from the possibility of this God being my God. You remember when Ruth said that? Right at the beginning where Naomi says to Ruth, you stay at Moab. I mean, come on, Ruth, I can't give you any security. I can't have another son so that he will marry you. And I mean, I'm, I'm too old for a start. Um, and beside anything, let's be serious, would you hang around for a son of mine to grow up so that he would marry you? It's just not feasible. And Ruth turns around and she says, don't cut me off. Don't allow any prospect of, of your God not being my God. Don't shut me out. I will be with you. I want your God to be my God. And Jesus says to a woman who comes to him and, and asks for help, he turns around to her and he says, just one of the most shocking things Jesus says, he turns around to her and he says, would, you, would the master of the house bring food 
for his children, take the food from his children and feed it to the dogs. She was a Gentile. She was outside of God's people. And Gentiles at that time were considered by Jews as being, they would actually call dogs. And Jesus says, do you really think that the master would take the food from his own children and feed it to the dogs? What, what a shocking thing Jesus says. And the woman says to Jesus, oh, yeah, no he wouldn't, but, but, even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the table. And Jesus says, that's faith. And I'm here. And I will save. And I will never turn away. Those who feel outside but come to me for help and hope. I will never shut you out. I will never turn you away. I will be there. This deliberate decision of God to reach into brokenness. C.S. Lewis puts it like this. When the Son of God dived into the cesspool of this world. (laughs) When God dived into the cesspool of this world. He swam to the very bottom and dug into the mud. And carried a people triumphantly out of that. God doesn't come into this world in its perfection. He doesn't even come from a line that is perfect. He he says, I will immerse myself in brokenness. I will come from a world, uh, from a line which is hurting and outsiders and seems like it doesn't fit and is full of people who are sinful. And, And I will be born into that line and I will throw myself into this world. Not to stay like that, but to lift people out of it, to take a hold of you, to say, don't stay in this world forever. Live forever with me. How does that work out personally? How does it work out in the middle of hardship, in the middle of potential, not for us, but for some famine, where what Ruth gets delivered doesn't get delivered? We want to say... Jesus, are you our Boaz? Are you a Boaz who will come to me and redeem me and save me? What about with broken relationships? What about with no relationships? What about with hurt and pain and sickness and and the prospect of poverty? What about in that? Will you be a Boaz? Look at what um, look at what the people say. Praise to the Lord, verse fourteen. Praise to the Lord, who this day has not left you without a kinsman redeemer. Who this day has not left you without a kinsman redeemer. What Ruth needed more than anything at that time was a kinsman redeemer. What Naomi needed was a kinsman redeemer. Somebody who was part of the family, who would redeem her, who would marry her, who would protect her, who would provide for her, who would continue the family line. That's the picture that we see. She needed that and everybody says, praise to God who has not left you without a kinsman redeemer. And I, I would say this, I come, you come, 
to Jesus. In just the same way as Ruth, poverty-stricken, bankrupt, without food, without hope, without relationship. We come to Jesus in just that way. We come bringing nothing. As Ruth goes to those fields, she doesn't bring any money to buy corn. She doesn't bring anything to, 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 bring, to buy barley. And yet Boaz says, now I tell you what, to my workers, don't, don't mistreat her, don't abuse her. In fact, I want you to make sure that you pull up a few extra uh, ears of barley and just drop it on the ground to make sure that she gets some extra. She comes with nothing and she goes back with provision. She goes and she lies at his feet. And he asks her for his, her shawl. And he fills it up with six measures of barley. And she goes home bringing nothing, yet going back, returning with provision, with sustenance, with food, with hope. And we come to Jesus in just that way. Oh, we come, all of us come to Jesus now with relative prosperity. We come with money. We come with, with a roof over our heads. We come with food in our stomachs. But we come spiritually bankrupt. We come without anything. We come with brokenness. We come without hope. And he says, when you come to me, in just that way, when you recognize that today, more than anything, you need a kinsman redeemer. You need somebody to buy you out of your poverty. You need somebody to give you life. He says... I, I will be that kinsman redeemer. I will be the one who will give you hope where relationships have not been sustained, where they've been broken for all sorts of reasons. Maybe sickness has inter intervened. Maybe death has intervened. Maybe all sorts of things have intervened. And Jesus comes along and he says, I will be your eternal hope. I will come. And redeem you. I will be alongside you. I will provide for you. And when that sickness and when that uh, intervening horror comes into your life and there, is, uh, and there is no more hope for you or me in this world. And it will come one day if Jesus doesn't return. There will be a day when we will be faced with, with no hope. Where we will be faced with talking to medical people or maybe people who we love will be faced with talking to medical people who will say, I'm really sorry, but, but this is the end. When we have no hope, when we come with emptiness and brokenness and Jesus continues to say, I, even then, I will be your kinsman redeemer. I will redeem you. You will live. I will be your sustaining provision for all of eternity. You, you will be married to me, he says. That's what the, we finally find at the very end of the Bible. The purpose of God is to bring a bride to the bridegroom, which is Christ. It's called the church. It's a picture. It's a picture to say that Jesus doesn't do this. Because it's demanded of him. He doesn't do this because it's just 
the way eternity and the cosmos has worked out. He doesn't do this because he feels as though it's his responsibility. He does it because he loves us. And to be loved like that, to be redeemed, not by legal demand, but to be redeemed by love. To know that there is somebody who has died for me. To know that somebody who has stood in my place. A few years ago, both one of the presidents and one of the popes, you'll have seen maybe the film, it's on YouTube, Uh, you can see that both of them at certain times were shot at. Somebody stood in the way and both literally and figuratively speaking, took the bullet. They stood in the way. I don't think in either case they died, but but that has happened in the past. Security agent stands in the way. That's done out of responsibility. But Jesus didn't stand in the way and take death out of some responsibility. He says, I came into this world, I dived into the cesspool of this world, I swam to the bottom, I I dug around in the mud, I went as deep as you can go, and I take a hold of you, and I lift you up, and I carry you out, and then I hold you as a treasure in my hand, and I look at you and I say, I love you. And I will redeem you, I will buy you, I will purchase you by my death. I will take the bullet so that you can live. Isn't that amazing? We are more loved than we could ever dream of. The problem is this, that we tend to come to Jesus not realizing how poverty-stricken we are. We come believing that we carry some goodness. We come believing that there is hope. We come believing that we are of worth in some way. And until we realize how bankrupt we are, until we realize that we are more wicked than we could have ever understood, more wicked in the face of God, I don't deserve heaven. None of us deserve heaven. So that when we stand in front of God, in Jesus, our judge, at some point, maybe if he asks the question, why should I let you into heaven? There is only one right answer. Because of your son. Because of what he has done. Because he loves me. Because he redeemed me. Because he purchased me. Carried me away from death. And gave me life. Redeemed by love. What a joyful, amazing message this is. The end of Ruth. But it makes Ruth so relevant to today, doesn't it? It carries this love story away from a love story to to portray to us in real life, the wonderful love that Jesus has for us.